2: An incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide, Forever Furnishings. Because quality doesn't have to mean expensive. Forever Furnishings is dedicated to providing quality home furnishings at affordable prices. Free shipping within the continuous United States. On most items, they only ship in the U.S. Orders arrive within a few days. Every, every discount bargain offer you can find is at Forever Furnishings. We hold a massive sale twice a month. Look out for them. Next sale is set to start on February 14th. During our sales, we usually offer two free with shipping items. Yep, you get that item, and all you have to pay is the shipping. Look in the navigation for free giveaway. Check out the website, ForeverFurnishingsLTD.com. That's ForeverFurnishingsLTD.com. We'll spell it for you, F-O-R-E. V E R F U R N I S H I N G S L T D dot com for and for furnishing
3: dot com. When you're looking for today's best advertising, there's just one place to go. LEDsigns.com. L-E-D-S-I-G-N-Z. LEDsigns.com. Get you customers guaranteed. Rent a portable LED sign from LEDsigns.com, and it will be delivered to your destination for about $33 a day. Or rent to own it. Advertise your business, service, or products all day, every day. That's LEDsigns.com. L-E-D-S-I-G-N-Z. Give them a call today, 1-800-955-0505 and get a complete advertising package deal. Visit ledsigns.com, L-E-D-S-I-G-N-Z. Fill out the form and mention in the comments that Phil Anderson sent you. ledsigns.com, advertising done right. Peacemaker Coffee understand the ritual of the pour over is like a meditation. There's no machine in your way, no flashing green lights, no electric power cords, just you and a few simple tools. The final cup is reminiscent of one from a drip coffee maker, but noticeably more delicate and complex. With Peacemaker Coffee, observe the bloom. Experience the first trace of coffee steam. Notice how the spiral of the pour alters the final cup. This simple experience gets you into with your coffee. Peacemaker Coffee Company is a coffee company that supports law enforcement and knows how to make a great cup of coffee. Peacemaker Coffee is dedicated to the men and women serving in this great country of ours and to the men and women who support them. Visit their website today, peacemakercoffeecompany.com.
2: On our fantastic, fantastic app, 50-plus AMF stations across the country and around the world. We have got our next guest coming up here in a few moments. We will talk to Omar Quadrat and uh, Al Rizzoli. And, of course, our good friend Dan Perkins here in just a few moments. But we want to tell you about one of our great new marketing partners at Transmedia Worldwide. We need your help. Are you a teacher? Do you know a teacher? We need teachers to join the new Teachers Marketplace at ilovetoteach101.com. Teachers, do you have a worksheet or two that you could you could smarten and sell? Teachers, do you have a super activity that you could record on your phone and sell? We let you keep 90% of the sales if you sign up as a pro vendor. We give away a significant part of our revenue to teachers in need. We help teachers in need who live in low economic countries. If you join this month, you could win $500 of cash by the end of February. All you have to do is join and earn credits to win. They're going to be having a cash bonus each and every month. Come check them out today at ilovetoteach101.com. That's the letter ilovetoteach one. 1.com and that's the number 1 the number 0 and the number 1 dot com and tell them you heard about it here Transmedia Worldwide
0: back to the Jiggy Jaguar radio show on the network
2: welcome back to our big broadcast we are live coast to coast and Boulder to Boulder on iHeartRadio and also AMFM 247.com. We have got a great guest coming up here in just a few moments here on our big program. If you want to get a hold of us online, you can do that at jiggyjaguar.com. J I G G Y J E G U A com. We've got a great guest with us today. Maureen Solomon is with us. She is fantastic. She is uh, our fabulous first guest here on our big pro- program, movie critic, and. Uh, we welcome to the broadcast the great uh, Maureen Solomon. How are you, Maureen?
4: Thank you. I have to say, iHeart is one of my favorite radios.
2: <laughs> well, thank you, thank you. I'm glad. I'm 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 glad we uh, have got you on with us today. Um, first of all, talk to us a little bit about your background because you have a very very impressive background.
4: Oh, thank you. Um, yeah, I've been a film historian and a music historian probably since I was a baby almost, uh, and a photographer. And I grew up on the old movies in New York, and I always wanted to produce and write and do all those things. And uh, when I went to school, I went to film school at New York University. I made musical films, which were kind of out of fashion, but everybody loved them. And uh, then I went to work for CBS News and WOR-TV News, uh, stations I had watched as a child, so it was very exciting. I got to produce some news segments. And um, then I um, became also an aficionado of uh, Fred Astaire and his work um, as I studied dance as a child. And I thought that he was the greatest and I was able to meet him many times in New York and in Los Angeles. Uh, When I came to Los Angeles, I started working uh, in television for a film critic. And then I went on to work for different production companies. And I was lucky enough to work with Richard Pryor Jim Carrey and Roseanne. <laughs> uh, Alan that's Smith, awesome. And a lot of other people, writers, producers, and directors um, in the business, including Bob Hope uh, Enterprises, too.
2: That's good stuff. So, we yeah, have that's
4: what I've done. I've been a writer, and I've done voiceovers. I've done producing, and I work for the um, Cinecon Board of the Classic Film Festival, and I'm also uh, the movie critic for the Southern California Book Publicist fantastic it's been exciting and i've met a lot of very interesting people i have a lot of stories and anecdotes which i'm going to be writing about in a book that i'm doing which is all-encompassing so i'm excited about that
2: that's fantastic (laughs) no 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 that's good that's good we have got a uh, great guest with us today she joins us live here on our broadcast and uh I, I want to start uh, about this uh, new movie, this uh, Judy Garland uh, movie that's going to be out there. Um, uh, d- talk, talk to us a little bit about Judy Garland.
4: Well, Judy Garland was one of the greatest entertainers of all time. She was like Al Jolson in that she had a booming voice. She also had beautiful phrasing, and her singing was most emotional, where it could make you cry um and she started out as a child child prodigy at about the age of three which fred astaire mickey rooney and mel Torme, and a lot of other people in vaudeville and later on movies television and radio also started out in and um her voice was just quite incredible they always said that she had the voice of a mature woman and um, i know that when she was a child and she was given the name judy garland by george jessel um he, he uh, said the first song she ever sang as a child was My Bill, which is a, a tale of woman's heartache from Showboat. So she was able to uh, emote that kind of emotionality at the time when she was so young. So then she grew up and she grew up at MGM Studios where she was, worked very hard along with a lot of other young talent like Mickey Rooney and uh, June Allison later on and Jane Powell. And um, there's a lot to be said about her being given, you know, uh, amphetamines and uh, downers and things like that to keep her working, Um, and she worked very hard. But the thing is, I'd like to qualify, is that she enjoyed working and she lived to sing. So a lot of that about her early life, even though it sounds very tragic, she wasn't the only one who went through it, and she was a willing participant in it. And um, when her career started to to founder later on in life, because of her uh, sort of addictions to prescription medicine mostly, and some alcohol, and marriages that failed, um, she started going out on tour in one-woman shows all over the world. She went in um, London several times at the Palace in New York. And I have to say that I was one of the few uh, who saw Judy Garland at the Palace in New York City in 1967 and believe me she bowled me over she was quite amazing even though i loved her anyway in her musicals she also had a great sense of comedy timing and um, she made you believe everything she said and did she could do drama and she could dance she was a triple threat so she um you know she went out with a bang unfortunately she died too young at 47 from from prescription drugs and eating disorders but she was one of the greatest talents of the 20th century and she was you know brought along by mgm and um she loved to sing and she lived to sing and i've heard stories about her she used to sing in her bare feet at chasen's restaurant uh and other places she just was very very lively and very um Expansive with her singing, you know with her whole body her hands and her her full throat and she could sing in different octaves different ranges and She had very very good friends, but at the end of her life um, You know a lot of people were were not able to keep up with her uh, Demands because she was a person who was needy and needed people around her and needed people to talk to but uh, she was one of the greatest talents that we have ever had. And I hope that more people uh, listen to her and watch her films because she's quite an amazing person.
2: Now, um, one of the things that uh, made her very special was uh, just her, her entertainment ability and, and, and things of that nature. Uh, talk about that.
4: Well, yes. Yeah, she Like I said, she grew up singing and she grew up uh, at the MGM studios and she she did love it she was started out as a a trio with two of her sisters older sisters and when you watch old videos about them you can see that Judy really had the timing and the personality uh, more so than are on Judy and Judy did become a big star and they didn't really know what to do with her at the studios because she didn't have the typical beautiful looks that Lana Turner had or Ava Gardner had and she kind of felt uh, intimidated by that but it was overshadowed by the fact of her tremendous talent and her vocal ability. She was even um, trained at MGM. She had uh, people who brought her along like Roger Edens and they even brought in a canter. To help her with her singing she had she was molded in a way so that they brought out the best in her and i think that she really enjoyed it i think she enjoyed the power she had to move people and she had many men in her life who some were good some were not good one of her favorite persons was johnny mercer who saw her as a child and he ended up having a nice affair with her Um, when she became older, and um, I think she appreciated all the musicians and music. And she also modeled herself a bit on Al Jolson because he had an incredible effect on audiences. He could make them cry. He could make them laugh. And she had that ability very well. You can see it in all of her films, like The Pirate, which was not a successful film, but she's, she's terrific in it, and she's terrific in everything she did with Jean Kelly, she's terrific with Fred Astaire and Easter Parade, um, everything that she did from when she was an ingenue, um, she was just wonderful. She could do it all. And so they, they, had, they kept her on because she could do everything. And she became very, very popular, especially during the war years when she did a lot of radio as well. So um, all I can say is that she was somebody who lived to sing. And her voice had such emotion and just beauty in it that, to this day, she has fans all over the world, including myself. So, um, Well, what, what, what do you need to know about Judy? What,
2: what, what did you think of the film?
4: The film, um, I, after I saw the film on Friday night, I thought it was uh, very exciting and very interesting. I have a little less opinion of it today, a few days later. Because, of course, it was the initial reaction I had to seeing Renee Zeldweger do Judy so well. She channeled her very well. But, uh, you know, if you want a happy movie, this is not it, because it's the last year of Judy's life at, when she was in London, and she was desperate to make money to get back with her children and have a, a place to live, which she didn't have. So it's really kind of the disintegration of a, a once great star who rises to the task and you know gives out her heart singing and everything but it's just a sad story and I thought that they did it well except for things that bothered me were the, the flashbacks um, the person I went with did not like the film because he felt he wanted to know more about Judy Garland's earlier life but I knew that that's not what the film was about it was about the last year of her life from 1968 to 69 in London. Um, I did feel, though, during the film that the flashbacks were disingenuous because they were highly fictionalized. They were a little bit over the top with how badly Judy was treated at MGM. Uh, They made Louis B. Mayer into a monster. They made her, her have a a a warden who was watching everything she ate and did, and I just thought it was a little bit too much, uh, just too much to emphasize the fact that her childhood was not an ideal childhood. But um, other than that, if I had to do the picture over, I would do the flashbacks much differently, with not as much um, giving it so much pathos and drama, which seems too much over the top for me. But the film was very good, and Renee Zellweger was excellent in the film. I was very surprised at her ability to do Judy because I'd seen pictures of Renee as Judy and I didn't think she looked like her. But when you see her in action, in motion, um, she does a very good job. I mean, she still is Renee, but there were times during the film where you sort of felt there was almost Judy there. And um, Renee Zellweger was there at the screening And she spoke with the audience, she answered questions afterwards, and um, everybody was very impressed with her. But as I say, even though I like the film very much, there are some things about it that I sort of would change. And also, um, she was asked whether Judy's uh, children had seen the film, and they didn't know. But I do know Judy's uh, family does not want to see this film. They probably had their lawyers see it, because I thought, well, why would... Liza, Lorna, and Joey want to see this film because uh, it's really the story of the deterioration of their mother in the last year of her life. And they lived it with her, so why would they want to see it? I really doubt that they would ever see it. But the overwhelming response from the audience and from people that I've talked to has been very good about the film. And I have to add that Renee Renee will win the Academy Award in February for this film, if you will. It was a tour de force on her part.
2: We have got a great guest with us today. Uh, she joins us live. Maureen Solomon is with us. Now, um, what, what, did you, what did you critically think of the film? Was it uh, accurate portrayal and everything?
4: Um, well, you know, it was ac- accurate as, as far as a movie can be when you know all the dialogue is made up. Um, it was based on a play, I heard the play was much more of a depressing thing, and they I guess they had to make it a little bit more uplifting for the d- movie audience, but I don't know how you can make it more uplifting. They didn't end, I don't want to spoil it for your audience, but they didn't end with the end of Judy. They ended with a few months before. Um, I thought the movie was, was pretty good as an acting role for Renee Zellweger, and for me to see, it, to see Judy Garland brought back to the fore... I love that, Um, but, you know, we would love to see, as my friend said, I'd like to see more about her life, but maybe they felt it wasn't, you know, as dramatic or as important. But, you know, all of these performers, their lives are very interesting. I mean, Fred Astaire, Bing Crosby, Errol Flynn, Judy Garland, uh, Betty Davis, all these, William Holden, they all had very interesting lives. And so I thought the film was good, but it did center on a small part of her life, and I think they did it as best they can. You know, the film was entertaining. The audience loved it. Renee did a great job. Um, There's only a few things I can find fault with because I am more knowledgeable about the real Judy Garland than probably most people, having seen her, grown up with her films, and watching her... uh, CBS TV show that she had in the early 1960s, where you can see she still had it, and so it's very hard to believe that she passed away only a few years after that show, where she really did give her all, and um, so I would recommend the film to people to see it. Uh, If they know Judy Garland, if they don't know Judy Garland, I really would recommend it to people, and they would get an idea of what she was like. They might want to find out more about her life and her career which was at the most interesting time of Hollywood's history, no doubt.
2: We have got a great guest with us today. Maureen Solomon is with us, a fabulous movie reviewer, and she joins us live here on the telephone. Now, do you have any f- familiarity here with uh, how, I guess, the, the, the outside world would, would perceive this film?
5: world meaning
4: people who don't know Judy yeah,
2: Garland? Yeah, people who are, who are not in the industry who didn't know Judy and... Uh, well,
4: you don't have to be in the industry to know Judy Garland. Um, I don't know what people in the industry would think about it. I know what I think, but people who don't know Judy Garland, they might like it. They might like it the way they saw you know, the Johnny Cash movie or the movie about Ray or certain movies that are uh, biographies. I happen to love biographies. I watched Paul Muni in two biographies last night, which were wonderful because it gave you a sense of history about the time of uh, Zola and Pasteur. So I'm not sure how people would feel, but I think they would probably like the film, being that the audiences today are more accustomed to downbeat films. But I think that should change, and I think people should go in for more upbeat films and that Hollywood should make them.
2: Fantastic. Well, uh, before we let you go, how do we... Find you online uh, websites. Uh, how, how do people how do people get in touch with you?
4: Well, they, I'm not online, and I don't have a website. I should really. I haven't gotten around to that because I've been writing and doing a lot of things. But if you would like to refer people to me, that would be fine through my um, my email. Is that what you like?
2: Yes. We uh, what we'll, we'll, what we'll do is we'll uh we'll we'll put that up at the end of the program. I appreciate it, Maureen. Thanks for being with us. You're welcome very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Thank you. There she goes, Maureen Solomon. marketing partner here at Transmedia Worldwide Beauty Forever Store. Check it out today. There's always time for makeup. We're a beauty supply store that offers great prices on cosmetics and beauty care items with free worldwide shipping. We also offer two deals every week that are on deep discount, up to 70% off. Check out beautyforeverstore.co.uk. That's beautyforeverstore.co.uk. We'll spell it for you. B E A U T Y F O R E B E R S T o-r-e dot c-o dot u-k and tell them you heard about it here Transmedia Worldwide an incredible new marketing partner with us today at Transmedia Worldwide Forever Furnishings because quality doesn't have to mean expensive Forever Furnishings is dedicated to providing quality home furnishings at affordable prices free shipping within the continuous United States on most items they only ship in the U.S. orders arrive within a few days Every, every discount bargain offer you can find is at Forever Furnishings. We hold a massive sale twice a month. Look out for them. Next sale is set to start on February 14th. During our sales, we usually offer two free with shipping items. Yep, you get that item, and all you have to pay is the shipping. Look in the navigation for free giveaway. Check out the website, ForeverFurnishingsLTD.com. That's ForeverFurnishingsLTD.com. We'll spell it for you, F-O-R-E. E V E R F U R N I S H I N G S L T D dot com for The hottest EDM music is available right now. Hashtag
0: EDM music
2: Hub. Check out EDM Hub.com. 24-7 stream of the best in EDM. Electronic, Dance, and more. Check out EDM Music Hub. Press promo is available at facebook.com slash EDM Music Hub. Check it out today. If you want to submit your music, it's EDM Music Hub at gmail.com. EDM Music Hub,
3: the best in EDM. Listen right now. Peacemaker coffee understand the ritual of the pour over is like a meditation. There's no machine in your way, no flashing green lights, no electric power cords, just you and a few simple tools. The final cup is reminiscent of one from a drip coffee maker, but noticeably more delicate and complex. With Peacemaker coffee, observe the bloom. Experience the first trace of coffee steam. Notice how the spiral of the pour alters the final cup. This simple experience gets you in tune with your coffee peacemaker coffee company is a coffee company that supports law enforcement and knows how to make a great cup of coffee peacemaker coffee is dedicated to the men and women serving in this great country of ours and to the men and women who support them visit their website today peacemakercoffeecompany.com
6: are you worried about your mom or dad living alone in their house hi i'm joan london
2: Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are coast-to-coast and border-to-border on iHeartRadio. Also, amfm247.com, and we go to the telephones. We've got our next guest patiently waiting on the line. And uh, go ahead and give us a brief introduction on yourself, my friend.
7: Yeah, hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm uh, Dr. Salvatore Georgiani, uh, and I'm the Senior Associate Director for the Men's Health Network, which is the uh, oldest and largest Men's Health Advocacy Group in the United States, and uh, uh, I also was a graduate of Columbia University. And, uh, I've been practicing clinical pharmacist with it, uh, for about forty plus years, uh, and uh, one of the things I'd like to talk with you about is some of the legislation that's coming down the track to address a very important issue to, to many, many people, particularly seniors, as the costs of prescription drugs.
2: Yes, this is a uh, this is a very very important topic. give us give us your thoughts on this whole thing
7: Well men's health network does agree that there needs to be some control some uh, uh, rationality brought to how medications are priced in, in the United States we we have seen the data we understand that as out-of-pocket costs go up, uh people's compliance their ability to get the medicines or take the medicines consistently over a long periods of time goes down so we do feel that uh we need to be uh, sensitive to the uh, the cost out of pocket cost for medications what we're concerned about is many of the bits of legislation that we see coming down the pike uh particularly those uh by Nancy Pelosi you know the, the ladies that We've got to pass the legislation before we see the legislation. Yes. We have to have the hearings before we see what's in the hearings. Uh, she's also proposing several types of what they believe on the Democratic side to be remedies, which really would further cloak prescription drug pricing in uh, secrecy. Uh, one of the proposals that we're very concerned about is what they call price uh, arbitration. Uh, and what it basically means is that the government would set up a pricing board within the bureaucracy. They would take a market basket of a couple hundred medications, not priced at the U.S. levels, but we don't know where they'll be priced from. They'll be up to the discretion of the medication pricings are, Uh, and then they'll say, okay, uh, drug companies, your price can be no higher than this. Um, The other... And and that's it. It's government setting the price. The other thing which is of concern is that uh, the government also wants to have direct scrutiny uh, of all costs involved in the drug.
2: Welcome back to our big broadcast. We are coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio. Also, amfm247.com, and we go to the telephones. We've got our next guest patiently waiting on the line, and uh, go ahead and give us a brief introduction on yourself, my friend.
7: Yeah, hi. Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm uh, Dr. Salvatore Georgiani, uh, and I'm the Senior Associate Director for the Men's Health Network, which is the uh, oldest and largest men's health advocacy group in the United States, and uh, uh, I also... uh, Graduate of Columbia University and uh, I've been practicing clinical pharmacist with it uh, for about forty plus years. Uh, and uh, one of the things I'd like to talk with you about is some of the legislation that's coming down the track to address a very important issue to, to many many people, particularly seniors, as the costs of prescription drugs.
2: Yes, this is a uh, this is a very very important topic. Give us give us your thoughts on this whole thing.
7: Well, Men's Health Network does agree that there needs to be some control, some uh, uh, rationality brought to how medications are priced in, in the United States. We we have seen the data. We understand that as out-of-pocket costs go up, uh, people's compliance, their ability to get the medicines or take their medicines consistently over long periods of time, goes down. So we do feel that. Uh, we need to be uh, sensitive to the, uh, the cost, out-of-pocket cost for medications. What we're concerned about is many of the bits of legislation that we see coming down the pike, uh, particularly those uh, by Nancy Pelosi, you know, the, the ladies that we've got to pass the legislation before we see the legislation. Yes. We have to have the hearings before we see what's in the hearings. Uh, she's also proposing several types of they believe on the Democratic side to be remedies, which really would further cloak prescription drug pricing in uh, secrecy. Uh, there, one of the proposals that we're very concerned about is what they call price uh, arbitration, uh, and what it basically means is that the government would set up a pricing board within the bureaucracy. They would take a market basket of a couple of hundred medications not priced at the U.S. levels, but we don't know where they'll be priced from, and they'll be up to the discretion of the medication pricings are. Uh, And then they'll say, okay, uh, drug companies, your price can be no higher than this. Um, The other, and and that's it, it's government setting the price. The other thing which is of concern is that uh, the government also wants to have direct scrutiny uh, of all costs involved in the drugs. Nowhere outside of the utilities industries do we find this kind of uh, government intrusion, uh, setting prices and setting criteria for reviews of books, unless you're the IRS and you're looking at you know, everything, but in terms of markets. So we think that it's a very anti-free market. The concerns we have uh, have recently been echoed by the Food and Drug Administration, our concern is, yes, this will certainly ratchet down pricing, but uh, what we and the FDA, the and Drug Administration, have seen is a very, very dramatic decline in uh, the availability of medications, particularly lower-tier medications. As the price gets ratcheted down lower and lower and lower, uh, manufacturers stop making medicines, or they go to places to have the medicines made uh, where most Americans wouldn't drink the water or eat the food. Uh, So we're very concerned that some of the ratcheting down is going to have a very terrible effect on the ability to get medicines long-term.
2: We have got a great guest with us today. The great doctor joins us here on our broadcast. And uh, Senior Science Advisor to the Men's Health Network past chair and chair emeritus of the American Public Health Association, former Alumni Association board member of Columbia University School of Public Health. And uh, so give, give me some more details on this, because uh, th- th- there's a lot to unpack here.
7: Yeah. Now, uh, the details haven't been worked out, and we're we're constantly watching what the legislative progress is, Uh, because with all the turmoil and the impeachment hearings and all the, you know, interesting things going on there, which uh, uh, are very important, we don't see an awful lot of movement on drug pricing legislation. Uh, But we do know that that's of concern to everybody. So we've adopted five principles because we don't know what's going to happen. We've adopted five principles. We want folks follow these things, people in legislatures to to. Take into account when they craft the legislation. The first is that whatever they do, they have to prioritize straightforward and effective reforms. Right now, the system is Byzantine; it's cloaked in secrecy, and we think it, there's a great potential the way things are going now in D.C. for it to once again be cloaked in secrecy or buried within the bureaucracy, particularly if this drug pricing war gets established. The American public needs to have confidence in the fact that their medications costs are being properly managed. The other is that we want to make sure that the cost reductions are passed on to patients. Uh, Most everybody in America now has their medications managed by a company called the Pharmacy Benefit Management Company, PBM. A lot of these are owned by insurance companies, and just the other day, CBS, a very large pharmacy uh, company, bought Aetna Insurance, so some of the pharmacy benefit management companies are buying healthcare insurance companies. And I've been practicing, as as we mentioned early on, for about 40 years. And what, unfortunately, the the rise of these PBMs was to help negotiate better prices based on contracts and concessions and rebates. And the money was to go right back to the consumer to lower the out-of-pocket costs. But we're not seeing that. Uh, What we fear, and part of it is, because the system is very cloaked in mystery, a mysterious system. Uh, is that the money is going into the insurance companies or the benefit management companies and not being passed along to the consumer. So whatever savings are negotiated, the best line share, if not all of it, needs to go back to people to reduce the out-of-pocket costs. We want to protect access to care. Uh, if prices are ratcheted down too far, where it's no longer even marginally profitable for U.S. companies to make the medications and FDA inspected facilities either here or in uh, uh, industrialized Europe uh, or in Canada uh, or in Mexico, that they, they simply won't make them and will have access issues as we see now. The other that we're concerned about are access controls. One of the very popular controls is called a formulary. and on a formulary they have something called step therapy. In step therapy, a patient has to fail on a medication first, before they can get the next medication and then fail on the next medication in the protocol tier until they get the next medication. Well, you know, can you imagine if we had that same process established for airplane parts where you first you have to put in the oldest, cheapest and the better parts? And then we would, that would be totally unacceptable in the aviation industry. Lives would be lost. So why do we accept that in medications management so we think those kinds of access controls need to be uh, eliminated or at least you know very stringently curtailed and the last is to make sure that the physicians nurse practitioners and PA's, physician assistants out there who care for patients have a dialogue with patients and the decision making be between them and the patient not the government we feel cookbook care is for everybody's long-term health, and we just want to see that relationship between provider and patient be strengthened. The remedy, we think in Men's Health Network, and many others also agree, is allow markets, free market negotiation. Uh, If good contracts are negotiated in a fair and open process, and the monies are returned back to the patients that are being saved and not... Furthering increasing margins for these benefit comp- pharmacy benefit companies, we think that that is the best thing to do, not setting up some arbitration board that is a bureaucratic nightmare.
2: Now, how did the healthcare system get to this point and get so screwed up?
7: <laughs> well, James, you know what? Smarter people than me have been trying to figure that one out. I think part of it is one of my favorite health economist was a really wonderful guy out of Princeton, even though he didn't go to Columbia, he's nice, well-educated fellow, I suppose, Princeton, Uwe Reinhardt, And he spoke way back in the 1980s uh, about the need for consumers to be in control of the cost rather than third-party payers. Uh, and I think he had a, that was awfully wise, uh, you know, uh, advice back then, and that extended on into the controls of how we access care. When the system turned from the way it was when I first started practicing pharmacy back in the 1960s, late 60s, early 70s, uh, to a, an insurance-based model, uh, it, uh, we took all responsibility away for decision-making from people and clinicians and put them in the hands of big corporations and bureaucrats. And I think that was a big mistake. Uh, it's a tremendous concern. And what we see also is that because things became out of control when the insurance companies had their hand in the process, a heavy hand now, we're also kind of concerned that uh, it's leading down a line of socialism or socialized medicine, which is really, you know, one of the main goals of many in the on the Democratic side. Uh, we feel that's wrong-minded. All you have to do is look at the veterans and their ability to access good quality care when they need it, or, or address problems, and you can see the type of system that uh, could be in the in the wings.
2: We've got a great guest with us today. The great doctor joins us here in our broadcast. And uh, how do people find you online? Get involved with you? All that?
7: No, thank you for asking. Um, yeah, the Men's Health Network, we have a lot of information on the Men's Health Network, and that's very simple, www.menshealthnetwork.org. It's one word, menshealthnetwork.org. Uh, we have a lot of free information, a lot of information about all these public policy issues, these pricing issues. We've done a series of blogs, and uh, hopefully getting some op-eds out there. So, And there's lots of information on, medi- on medications. And disease-specific conditions that affect boys and men.
2: Now, uh, before we let you go, uh, what 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 are some of the other big health stories that people should be aware of?
7: Well, uh, how the government is going to approach pricing, uh, in a, in a broader sense, and access. As I mentioned, a lot of what we see that is going to be. Discussed, You see that most of the debates on the Democratic side so far, to the point some candidates are complaining about it, have been on health care, Medicare, and this concept of Medicare for all. This goes way back to the uh, Clinton era when Hillary Rodham Clinton was promoting a single-payer system, which is very much akin to the one that some of the more left-leaning Democrats have uh, proposed. Uh, and that is to uh, have Medicare for all. Uh, we believe that that is a huge issue. Uh, it would control 30% of our economy, affect every life in America from cradle to grave, uh, and we feel that that is putting the, our trust in a system that is all too prone to secrecy um, in closed hearing meetings and bureaucracies is just wrong-minded. The other is this issue, which I as pharmacists worry about, is the quality of medications uh, coming from overseas. Uh, and uh, it, it is tied to what I spoke about before, which is if you ratchet down the costs more than is reasonable, you stymie all sorts of innovation, including innovation and quality control. Uh, it, when it's no longer profitable to make medications, uh, they'll will have a stoppage to even the least expensive medications. You just won't see them. So I think hindsight is, uh, you know, a, a wonderful thing, but we have to be very careful as we move along the continuum for access for any health care legislation now.
2: Well, now, uh, before we let you go, once again, how do we find John online, my friend? What uh,
7: The mental Health Network is that www.menshealthnetwork.org.
2: Fantastic. Well, I appreciate you making time for us today, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. Thank you, doctor.
7: Have a good rest of the day, all.
2: Appreciate it, my friend. There he goes. We've got more coming up.
8: I thought, you get involved with being over 40 bodybuilder body of the week? That's a pretty great honor from those uh, guys. I appreciate
9: that. Yes, it is. Uh, what it was is that uh, I just kind of hanked into it by the staff. They were like, really, you do a lot of bodybuilding shows and stuff like that, you just take a charm and uh, see how it goes. And, well, uh, behold, they, uh, they chose me. Wow. How did you get involved with uh, bodybuilding? I to thank my wife and a uh, guy at the gym on that. Uh, I was at the gym one day. I've been kind living for about 6 years. And I was at the gym complaining that I wasn't taking any gains. And that someone came up to me who was in bodybuilding and said only real men do bodybuilding. And uh, my wife started getting on laughing. She goes, oh yeah, I can't see him on that diet. And I thought, okay, I'll show you both. So, yeah, I got, that,
8: and got my taste, and, uh, did well on my first contest, and I've well, going great ever since. Wow. So, uh, so, you, you mentioned you did powerless, but how did you get sort of going powerless? Was it No, I just, oh, just a oh, friend, right?
9: right, uh, uh, when they, uh, put me to a contest, he said, want to go with me, and, uh, kind of look at in the in his and I'm like, yeah, right. And, uh, they needed, uh, another
8: guy kind to of, you know, their team, uh, probably. So I got the taste and fever for that, too. Wow. How does, uh, what's the difference for the people that aren't real aware of uh, bodybuilding and powerlifting? What's the difference between the two, far as training-wise and everything?
9: That's an excellent question. Uh, what it is, is powerlifting, you do a lot of heavy weights with low rep. And with bodybuilding, it's just the opposite type of training. It's lightweight with a lot of reps and what you're trying to do is burn off the calorie making it more aerobic when you're working out and that's the key difference with it. Um, the sets are quicker with bodybuilding, the lift time is shorter. Uh, with powerlifting you have like a minute or two between sets. Uh, with bodybuilding it's more uh, the uh, circuit training that you go from one to the other to
8: the other and uh, so it's like two different type things. Wow. Are the same exercises Used primarily back and forth. I know that uh, I've done some powerlifting in the past, and a lot of the a lot of the stuff that we do in uh, some of the bodybuilders that I know, they do a lot more shaping exercises than they do.
9: Exactly, and that's exactly what it is—the is shaping. Uh, you want to change and alter your physique uh, to make it look, you know, as muscular as possible. You always want to hit on what is known as your weak points. Uh, mine, in cases, doing the abs and my triceps. That's uh, interesting, again, to the respect when you're in a show and such, you always want to try to hide your worst areas. Yeah. (laughs) And and, uh, so when you're doing some posing and such, uh, you're hiding your posing so the judges don't really see how poor your physique is. With uh, powerlifting, you either get it up or you don't, and it all has to do with technique.
8: Wow. So, uh, how often do you get to the gym? Is it a regular thing?
9: Do you oh, I'm a, a kook, and Annette, as I've been told by many of my friends, <laughs> uh, what I do is <laughs> uh, I take my kids out uh, to school, drop them off, and then I go to the gym uh, and do uh, about half an hour to 45 minutes of cardio, come to work, and then about noon, I'm at the gym at from 12:30 oh, till 30 til about 1.30, and then at night, I'm uh, back there from 6.30 until 7.30. Yeah. Wow. Uh, i let your audience know that it's kind of a unique situation with me on that one. Uh, at the gym we go to, my wife basically at the same time uh, does aerobics three nights a week. And then my ch- two children, my two little boys, eight and six, uh, they're doing karate. At the same cool. time, I am so yeah. We're all in the same area. We're very. Uh, my family is very family oriented. We try to keep a good Christian uh, values with that, with making sure that you know we're all together as a family, and that uh, we're all exercising and such. And we keep
8: the game boys and the television very much to a minimum. <laughs> well, there you go. That's a good thing. So, uh, what's your favorite exercise when you go to the gym? Oh, that's at the bench. <laughs> yeah, because that way. So I, I to, yeah, you got it. But I'm
9: glad you're laughing because everybody laughs about it. Yeah. Well, what it is is that it's the first thing that when you're coaching uh, somebody, they always say, "Damn, you got a big chest. Man, what's going on?" <laughs> and then in powerlifting, it's uh, and you said you had done it before. You know, oh, yeah. bench,
8: yeah. lift and squats. So it, you just cannot beat it. Yeah. There's a there's a couple of lifting partners of mine that they just absolutely they've done martial arts and things over the years and. They just absolutely hate it when people go up to them and go, well, how much do you bench? And then when they tell them, and a lot of times it's a real low amount of weight, and they get discouraged. And there was one day one of them told me, I'm getting sick and tired of uh, having my manhood based upon how much I can bench. (laughs) (laughs) And and it's true. It's uh, it's so true with that. (laughs) Because when
9: I'm getting ready for a show, you know, uh, these young kids will come up to me, and they go, well, we can curl more than you can. And I'm like, well, let's try it my way. Let's try the technique of properly doing it, yeah. just proper lifting, proper lifting techniques. And I said, I'm sitting here at a bench, and I'm curling with my back up against something, either a wall or a chair, where you're standing up and you're swinging so much. Yeah. It's not getting the weight up. It's all back to that technique and concentrating and being very specific on, you know, whatever... Uh, uh, exercise you want to do, be it arms, tricep, or muscle, excuse me, that you want to be specific for.
8: Yeah, yeah, that, that seems to be the, the big issue. I see a lot of guys, you know, they're, they're in the gym and they're grunting and they're lifting and they're going nuts, but they're either putting too much back into an arm exercise or they're uh, using their momentum and just swinging the weight up. I know we, right now I just kind of smile and <coughs> nod my head because you know how some people, when you try to approach them, they get kind of, you know, oh, yeah, I yeah, just that kind of smile expensive. and just kind of go away with that.
9: But uh, the bodybuilding, do you ask another question when you said about what the difference is? The other thing is diet. And oh, yes. It's please, what, you know, people are asking so much about diet, and it really is about watching your protein, carbs, and your fats. And America is really trying hard, but the thing is, is that people aren't getting educated enough on it. And the biggest thing to help you lose weight is basically the good old thing called water. There's no calories, no fat, or anything. And people are just so avoid of that that they have all these, you know, fruit uh, juices or uh, uh, flavored water, and it's sugar water. And I'm like, you all just need to change what you're drinking, and this
8: will really help you out because, you know, if your stomach's full of water, you're not going to eat as much. Yeah, I see so many little kids that, well, you just look at some, just, around the country. You see these kids that are like eight years old and they look like baby Huey and I'm like, What the hell? And then you realize that they're sitting in front of the T V and they're drinking three, four cans of Coke a day. You got it. And it it, mm-hmm. and it, it and just and it seems to shattered. be a, a big issue.
9: Yeah, I thought what happened to the good old days for you know, people who go out and you know, like I said before I had my kids out and exercising and things, what's wrong with going out playing, you know, softball or even kickball? You know be with the kids to do it and um, I tell people all the time uh, about the fact that I work out a lot, it's if you and my patients as well, that I have a business and I have children, still find time to exercise and if you want to do it it's doable. Yeah. And the other thing too is you're gonna be tired in the beginning. Your muscles aren't used to it, especially your heart. But your heart's the muscle that, you know, you can't, you know, live without basically oh, yeah. and if you, yeah, you can't get around without a heart. But if you work on that, it's going to strengthen it, and you're not going to be as tired within a month or two, and you're going to notice the change.
8: It's just a matter of getting out there and actually do it. So when you go into the gym, do you uh, do any stretching before or do you do all your? Absolutely. stretching at the end.
9: No, uh, stretch out before. You want the blood flow in there. You want the muscles and ligaments to be loose, and yeah. that's the key with it. And uh, if not, you're more, you are more prone. To different types of injuries and such. It's also good, too, if you're still tight
8: afterwards, to, at the end, stretch as well. Yeah. Well, I've seen so many guys go in the gym and they show up and they start lifting, and then they either stretch at the end, or a lot of times the guys will just grab their stuff and leave. And I'm, like, thinking, how do they go through life that way? Because, I know, I I I did sprints a few weeks ago for, like, the first time in a while, and I had so many things I was doing that afternoon that I didn't get a chance to stretch out beforehand and I paid for it for about three days. Mhm. <laughs> <Well, you, laughs> how do these guys not stretch? but well, let me ask this. How many of them do you notice,
9: and this is in my office quite frequently when you said about stretching, Yeah. the ones that are lifting the heavy weight, and lo and behold, they can't figure out why they're having mm-hmm. rotator cuff surgery yeah. problems, why they're having elbow problems, shoulder problems and depending on how you handle the bar,
8: wrist problems. And I'm yeah. like, are you all stretching? Yeah, I see um, I see a lot of guys that they're in there just lifting like crazy, and then they either aren't in there for a couple days, or they end up having to have surgery, different parts of the year or whatever, and I'm like thinking, so if you guys would stretch. I do a little something. Yeah, it, it's just minor little things that can help a hell of a lot. Well, get, getting back to uh, the nutrition part, what kind of nutrition plan uh, are you on? How oh, has that changed mind over mind. the years as far as from your powerlifting days to bodybuilding now? Well, that's, it's been dramatic. Um, I take a lot
9: more protein, uh, medium carbs, and a little fat because what it is is that people have good ideas about trying to lose weight, but what it is is it takes nine grams of energy to lose a gram of fat. So it takes wow. a lot of energy to lose fat. And what people do is, the first time they lose weight, they'll lose a lot of water first, and then they take it from the carbs, and then from the protein, because that's where they want to lose the fat, and the fat comes last. So what I've had to do is tweak my diet to make sure that I keep my carbs level, and there's a on the, uh, website that's go under glycemic index, and take low glycemic foods, such as, uh, you know, uh, it's really easy. I'm kind of it at the moment. Let's see, uh, like, uh, I think I eat Uncle Sam's cereal and such like that, but uh, get on the website and you'll, you'll find it. And then uh, the other thing you want to do is keep your protein high, but your fat's low like chicken. If I have enough, any more tuna, I'm going to turn to a fish. Mm-hmm. and then watch your fats as well. But you, after a while, you don't miss the cookies or the candies, the soft drinks. You don't even want them anymore because oh, yeah. they're so terrible. And the cookies, so what it is is as children, you get your taste buds formed, and that's why we it's hard for us to break a cycle. But you usually after about two years, your cycle's broken if you eat well with that, and that's the key
8: with such. It's just, you know, eating right and eating smart. Yeah, that's not can be excess yeah. That seems to be the big thing. A lot of people, they, they'll go in, they'll lift the weights, they'll take the supplements, but uh, the diet, they kind of skip on. <laughs> big time. And, and I'll be direct with you, people. Somebody was asking the other
9: day about you ever cheat. Well, last night my wife made some spaghetti and garlic uh, bread, and it's a long time since I've had that. And <laughs> I had that, and it tasted just fine and dandy, and I didn't feel guilty about it at all. But when you're on a bodybuilding diet, you, it, you have to watch it basically daily, and you have to watch your sodium a lot, whereas with powerlifting, you can eat whatever you want to. It's, the biggest thing is as long as you get the weight. Yeah. As long as you get the weight up, that doesn't care. They just don't care.
8: What kind of supplements were you on uh, when you were doing powerlifting, or were you not doing uh, I was just taking uh, like amino acids, uh, the glutamine,
9: the chondroitin is excellent for any type of joints. If anybody has any joint problems, please... I recommend that highly. It takes a while for your body to get used to it. Uh, also, vitamins as well, because what you're doing if you're exercising, you're using a lot of your energy and such, and you're going to use those up. So, a regular person that has on most vitamin packs, it says the minimum daily requirement. But it, so, if you're exercising, take the maximum amount. You know, you know, you take more because they're using that. Um, right now I'm laughing, I, got, I still got my flax seeds in front of me, I got my glutamine in front of me, I got my <laughs> uh, green tea for energy, and I got my potassium.
8: <laughs> so I, And I got my amino so acids, I forgot about that. So um, and, uh, comparing that to uh, your bodybuilding, you, you basically, did you add any supplements or did you take any supplements out of the mix going from powerlifting to bodybuilding? Basically. <laughs> I basically kept, kept everything the
9: same uh, as far as diet-wise because on both powerlifting and bodybuilding, you're in weight categories Yeah. and I like going like about 198 pounds and I can still bench as much as I was doing when I first started bodybuilding. I was 225 pounds wow. and lost 25 pounds of fat and I can, I'm just as strong as I was now at 198 pounds. And all it was was fat, just you know, excess fat. Wow. And I never got compliments before. When I was powerlifting, I sure get them now. <laughs> you know, my wife's behind me; she's giggling and laughing to her dismay. Yeah, she's really laughing now. But uh, it's just—it's just great. And people—it's so funny. People always say, "Oh, you're on steroids, or your drugs, or you're doing something." Well, if you're tone and you're fit, you don't have to be that way. It's just back to diet. And yeah. that's the key, as you mentioned before, about children being so heavy and obese right now. Once they get out and exercise, they lose all that, and they look great.
8: Yeah. Well, it's like uh, the big thing right now seems to be, as far as like the sporting world, seems to be the whole steroid thing. Mm-hmm. And I just don't understand why, uh, with so many great bodybuilding supplements out there, why a lot of these uh, young lifters and a lot of these you know, older guys, they want to go for the steroids. Why, why do you That's think that is? It's interesting you should mention that. As we age,
9: after the age of 30, we lose the testosterone level. Yeah. And usually at 18, you reach your peak. So the kids, their marketing strategy is awesome. Those with these kids that don't really need it, so they basically, it doesn't work for them yeah. because your body naturally has enough testosterone but as you age, there's less. So those products are actually not really half bad because testosterone helps men stay young, tone, and fit. That's how the testosterone gets with the muscles and such, makes you, you know, more muscular looking and such. But uh, it's doable because people ask at me again all the time, like, oh, you're on steroids, you're taking drugs. I'm like, no, I don't smoke, don't drink, and I eat healthy, and yeah. I'm at the gym consistently. And that's just the key with it, and that's with anything. But it's uh, it's really is frightening with the number of, you know, kids right now with our society the way that it is with so drug happy on so much yeah. and it's a shame. But yeah, they also good. too want to have a quick fix because I have kids all the time laugh at me going, Well, you know, I can do it quicker, I can do it quicker. Yeah, but how long is it gonna stay and is it worth your is it worth your health and your life? Yeah. Right yeah, you look at some of these uh,
8: like bonds and you know, his body's breaking down just as the season's going with with baseball. Or you look at McGuire, you know, he had two good seasons. Oh yeah. And now he's a show of his former self or you know, if you wanna look into more of extreme measures, the uh, all these guys in professional wrestling. Mhm. It's it's
9: it's really okay. something they have a, as I was not ready to say, they have a website right now about the number of bodybuilding men. Uh, that are about 40 years old that have passed away recently from heart attack, liver cancer, and all that. And it really is a shame, and I think if it was made more knowledgeable to people about it, these kids would get the message across. Yeah. And it's it's, it's really something else, but it's so rampant nowadays, you know, and so easily
8: accessible to these kids, and it's really a shame because most of the time they don't need it. Well, and something else is that you look at a, uh, and I was, Talking with a buddy of mine the other day at the gym, he said, You look at some of these uh, kids and some of these older gentlemen that are doing roids and everything else, and they're popping it like it's candy. He said, You know, when, when stero- before steroids became illegal, he says people were doing them and it was safe and it was controlled. And he said they were cycling on and cycling off. And he goes, Now these guys, they don't believe in a cycling off period. They want to be on steroids all the time. And, it's a da- and that's
9: basically dangerous because your body needs to do what is known as detoxify because yeah. it builds up the liver toxicities. And they just, they just don't want to do it because what happens is, is that the muscle basically is kind of artificial and you lose it. And that's why I tell these kids all the time, you know, take your time and let the muscles grow naturally because they'll stick with you. They'll stay with you. Yeah. But you can see kids all the time, and I'm sure you've seen it. These kids oh, yeah. are like nothing than humongous six months later, 200 wow. something pounds, when they started out at 148 pounds, and then what is it, six months later after they
8: kind of stopped taking
9: the stuff, they're no better off than where they were before. Yeah.
8: Yeah. I've, I've talked to a lot of uh, local football guys that they've been pressured by their coaches. Oh, you know, you ought to, we can hook you up with certain things, or we can tell you where to get certain things. And they've told me over and over well, why should I do that damage to my body and then at the same time once I get off the stuff the muscles are gonna disappear. Why mm-hmm. not just do things naturally and the stuff will stay with me. Exactly. It just exactly. seems to be such a uh, such a mess anymore and I know that uh, the big thing seems to be on the internet with the pro hormones. Seems to like the uh, super super drone, some of that stuff and you look at getting the actual pro-hormones is not an issue, but to counter the side effects, you've got to spend another 300 bucks to get all the support supplements and vitamins and the amino acids and all these things to counteract all the negative side effects. Why go out and spend that kind of money if you're going to have that sort of issue? But it seems like people are doing it. Exactly. It's just like, you see, before it's like a quick fix, like with diet and such
9: as well. I tell people in my office, it didn't take you that long to gain the weight. It's not going to take, you know, instantly to lose it as well. And with these kids, again, it's to everything's fast. Everything's fast. And I'm like, you need to take it slow and easy. Um, I know it sounds kind of hokey, but I tell my kids all the time, hey, you know, like the rabbit and the tortoise and the hare. Yeah. It's consistent and persistent. If you stay there, you're going to be like that turtle and you're going to win. It may take you a little bit longer than the next guy, but you're going to fi- make it through the finish line where these other kids will either be dead or they're going to be snoozing like that rabbit did. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's, just, it's just really something.
8: Well, going uh, going back to your bodybuilding and powerlifting background, how what was the process? Because you look at the pictures on uh, thebodybuilding.com and then you think of Think of most powerlifters, and what was the steps you went from a powerlifter to a bodybuilder? You know, how, how did how long did it take to to get to the looking the way you are now, and some of the uh, the diet issues, and what kind of Experiment. experimentation did you have to do? It took about
9: six years to go from one and the other, and now I'm able to fluctuate between them both. Uh, The powerlifting, if any kid wants to start out with bodybuilding, do the powerlifting first because what you want is the size, the strength, and you want the body belly to be full. Then afterwards, you want it to cut up in order to lose the fat in between the muscles. As far as the diet, again, it's back to being consistent and persistent. No McDonald's, no Wendy's. Know anything like that and make sure the food is healthy. Get back to your basics, your fruit and your vegetables. And like I said before, after that, you don't miss the candy or the cookies and such with it. Uh, I'm kind of like a unique one, as that I do bodybuilding shows and powerlifting shows like one week within the other. You know, doing it because it's just the way that you've trained. You know, I've been able to train my body, and that's not the same as, you know, anybody else. I'm just kind of a unique individual. And that's what uh, I was bringing up. The point was, with being an individual, your body may not be ready to be a powerlifter. It may just be like a bodybuilder physique. But until you try, you're never going to know with it, know what your body really can do.
8: Well, that's nice. You're able to go from <laughs> you're able to go from powerlifting to bodybuilding shows because I've talked to a lot of guys where they've they've got to pick one or the other. That's cool yeah, I've been t- that you've gotten that your physique and your body maintained to where you can do both. But uh,
9: yeah, that's because people always say, "Well, you're kind of different because you can do, you can do both." And I kind, like I kind of like it. <laughs> where well, you can do because it it, you know it keeps you it keeps you it keeps you big and it keeps you healthy. And then again, you can like do a show and say, "Hey, this isn't too bad." You know, it's it's, it's pretty good. But my biggest thing is again, tell those kids to stick with it. And even the other uh, older people, too, uh, uh, I don't know if you've been to any shows recently, but uh, tell your audience now, there are men in their 50s, 60s, oh, yeah. and 70s in shows, and they also, in bodybuilding, have wheelchair people as oh, well. that's cool. The same is true as powerlifting, yes.
8: Yes. Yeah, I knew uh, powerlifters, they, they did the wheelchair uh, events, but they let them uh, compete. But, man, I didn't know about the... They do wheelchair bodybuilding. What What's that like?
9: It's really it's really kind of fascinating. Uh, what it is is that uh, the, they obviously cannot do any type of legs and uh, yeah. such, but they work on their bench press, they work on their abs, They can, and they work on their backs. And some of these guys are just, you know, and teenagers as well, are just phenomenal. I've never seen a woman uh, wheelchair person do it, but the men and the uh, teenagers are just awesome. Uh, within both in the bodybuilding and the powerlifting. Um, There's also, I've seen several Down syndrome children doing both as well. And I've been extremely impressed with that. So there's no limitations in either sport, you know, despite your, I hate to say the word disability, but uh, disability, it's just a matter if you want to do it bad enough, you can
8: do it. Wow. Uh, Even no matter the age. What is the difference, uh, since, since you do both regularly, what is the difference in the way the shows are set up from a powerlifting to a bodybuilding show? Yeah. The atmosphere and everything.
9: Believe it or not, it's basically the same. Everyone pulls for you. Uh, it's just, it's terrific. Uh, I always tell a story about the first bodybuilding show I did because uh, I had done powerlifting. Uh, uh, it was a unique experience. I thought that uh, there would be a lot of different types of. Guys, there, you know, you kind of, kind of question where they're at, and uh, it was the most incredible, humbling experience I've ever had. Uh, mm-hmm. They were super nice, super cool. Uh, a lot of them were professional. They were uh, very much in tone, very uh, educated. And I told my wife, I said, I felt like Sandra Bullock when she said, or got a realization that this is not what you expected it, it to be. Yeah. Uh, some of the super awesome people. To work with, I thought it'd be just like the powerlifting guys, where everyone pulls uh, each other and you know roots through everybody and it's wild. Uh, as far as like how each show is run, uh, each organization is different, and each show has been different. I've been to shows where the expedition, uh, uh, how it's been expedited, rather, excuse me, has been awesome, and I've had other shows that've just been really, really bad.
8: Yeah. Well, that seems to be the case. You go back and forth between uh, between the two. I know there was a, a couple shows recently that uh, a buddy of mine went to wrote, uh, up in Kansas City, and he said that they just were poorly, poorly run. But he said that he's been to some other shows in Kansas and out in some of the other areas of the country, and they professionally run and just fine. I guess maybe it just comes down to the management now they want to run those certain shows, mm-hmm.
9: and uh, it's uh, how much experience they've had or who's helping them as well. Uh, I've had uh, some shows—the first show they ever had—were great, and I've been to ones where they're like, "I don't know what, what you're doing," <laughs>
8: but uh, and I'm like, uh, "Let me help you out. I'm having up these shows. I'll help you." Out. <laughs> So what's the difficult process if uh, somebody, let's say, is uh, doing bodybuilding right now and they want to get into a show, how exactly do they go about doing
9: that? Best thing they need to do is, one, first get in there and stay motivated. Get to the gym no matter what the cost is. I tell people all the time, I go in there even when I'm sick. Just get in there, you see the people working out, and that you want that, and you're going to do it because... What it is is that there's gonna be someone else there that's gonna go the distance. So if there's one more, one last rep you don't want to do, you do it anyway. The other thing is stick with the diet and just don't be afraid of the diet. You can do it, and it's only a couple months out of the, a couple months out of the year yeah. that you can do it. And afterwards, you know, after the show, you can eat whatever you want. And the other thing too is don't be afraid to take advice because if someone's done a show before, don't be afraid to ask them for some help. A lot of people get a little nervous or intimidated uh, by me because I've done a couple of shows. And what it is is that most of the time people are flattered when you ask the questions. So go up to them and say, I've seen you done a show before. Could you please help me out? Uh, can you help me out with my posing? Can you help me? What oils or uh, what uh, panning solutions would you recommend before I do a show? Is there any particular music that you would recommend? and what shows would you do? I always recommend uh, doing the more natural shows that are drug yeah. tested and polygraph tested. It makes it more it makes it more fair, and I, I won't say the other uh, organization is bad or anything because they're extremely well run, and, and most of the time it's pretty good, but if you're new at it, you're gonna be intimidated at first, and I see a lot of these kids doing the non-drug tested shows that get discouraged, and. What the shame is that a lot of them had potential; they were just in the wrong show to start out with. And the other thing too is stick with it. It's a bodybuilding it, it, it takes a while to get where you need to be. Yeah. So don't give up. Because that's the one thing I absolutely love it. I I said well, I didn't think I was going to,
8: but I I can't. I love it. I, I'm addicted. Well, I appreciate the interview, Doctor Joe. I will uh, get you an email this evening and. Uh, then I'll get you a copy of the interview and everything. Well, I appreciate the I, I appreciate the interview once again, and we'll have to have you back on. We you chat some more about bodybuilding. Uh, when you have your uh, next contest, let me know the results. We'll have to have you back on. You can talk about it. Sounds like a plan. Hey, thank you very much. It was oh, yeah. great. Definitely. I appreciate it. You have a great afternoon, you sir. A... Thanks, you too. Thanks. Bye. Bye-bye.
10: download all the past bits and best interviews with new things added each week at
11: com. We are back here, on Jiggy show. speaking with Dio Paul Pierce from uh, Bodybuilding.com from all over the place.
10: Uh, give us a little background on yourself. Well, I am uh, originally from southeast Louisiana a place called Cutoff and I mean we are Basically on the Gulf of Mexico. It is a uh, big uh, fishing community. I'm Cajun French. My great grandparents never spoke a word of English. And, uh, we, uh, we have a strong, you know, we're very proud of our culture and our heritage. So that's where I started life. And I spent my first 18 years there from, from that time once I graduated high school and went right into the U.S. military and I served as an intel- yeah, I served as an intelligence specialist, uh, for the U.S. Navy for four years. And, uh, I was, what's that? Damn. You're yeah, I know. Yeah. So, uh, I was, I was based out of Norfolk, Virginia. However, I was on an aircraft carrier and we were just never home. So I've seen, I've been to the North Sea, uh, I've been to where actually, where my descendants uh were exiled and came from, so I was able to visit Halifax, Nova Scotia, which is where the Cajuns originated.
11: Yes. Yeah.
10: And um I've been North Sea, all over the Atlantic, uh the Gulf of Mexico, which was like home to me, the Caribbean. Been to the Mediterranean, the Red Sea, uh Indian Ocean and spent six months in the Persian Gulf. Wow. Yeah. This <laughs> is so I ha- I actually I uh I started college there while I was on the carrier and uh, basically got all my general studies done. And when I got out in 1998, I immediately started uh, to pursue my education as a registered dietitian. So I have a, a Bachelor of Science in Dietetics, which is basically the science of nutrition. From there, I went on to finish my studies at Tullo and in New Orleans, Louisiana, and I was an intern for 10 months there, uh, studied for 6 months, became a registered dietitian. And, uh, all through that time, I kind of went through college real fast, but I, uh, I built up a name for myself as a powerlifter in college. But at the same time, I've been bodybuilding since high school. Did my first show when I was 16 years old. Uh, I think that was the Morgan City Classic. And, uh, placed second in the, at that time they had like, 17 and under divisions. Yeah. So it started there, but I wanted to put on more mass after I got out of the military, so I pursued uh, powerlifting, and it just so happened I was really good at it, and uh, I went to nationals and was expected to do really well, and I did. I placed fifth at nationals, and uh, that was a that was kind of a mistake on my part, and uh, we can talk more about that later if you want to. But oh yeah. In, oh, but uh, anyway, um, my last powerlifting meet. I, I won best lifter overall, and that was, uh, below class one, which is basically like the novice version of bodybuilding. Yeah. But it was, it was open. It wasn't just collegiate, you know, so it was against any age group and any weight class. And obviously to win, um, you know, overall best li- lifter, you also win your, your weight class, which I competed at a 145, and best lifts were, I've doubled in the deadlift. I've doubled 505. Um, and, you know, keep in mind, I, I was competing at about, uh, 142 to about 143 pounds. I, I hold and broke several times the state collegiate bench press record, which was 310 and a body weight of 143. And, uh, my best squat was a 435. So really my, my best lifts were deadlift and bench. Damn.
11: Yeah, yeah, and it worked. I uh, really
10: put on some size and, and I really uh, thickened up and densened the muscle fibers for bodybuilding. Um, but anyway, back on to the professional portion, after I was a dietitian, I had already been per- a personal trainer for years and like up to this date I've been a personal trainer for six years. I became registered and licensed in two states. That was uh, Louisiana and Mississippi. So I started the career in Louisiana as a diabetes educator. Um, seven months later I was recruited to start a diabetes outpatient program from the ground up and I did that
6: with wow. a with
10: a nurse yeah a nurse and I 4,000 pounds, but you weigh a fourth of a pound less than me, you're going to win, even though we're in the same weight class. So what I did was kind of like what wrestlers would do, and uh, I actually had kind of dehydrated myself so they had to weigh in really, really light. And Mm -hmm. I did. I weighed in at like 142, but here's the thing. At nationals, unlike any other powerlifting meet, you have to compete two hours after weigh-in. And two hours was just not enough to rehydrate the body and and compete at the level that I was capable of competing. It still got me fifth in the nation, which is all American power lifter for the USAPL. Yeah. But you know, it took my it really took my one and last chance at having a national title in that sport because that was my last year, you know, I was twenty five. Wow. So that was a uh that was a hard kind of pill to swallow. But, uh, I learned a lesson, and now, anytime I work with a power I say this. Don't make it to where the lightest man wins. You want to come in there and be yourself and lift heavier than everyone, you know? Yeah. Uh, and just do what you can do, because, yeah, uh, well, that's my <laughs> <not the way>.
11: story. <laughs> okay. Um, I'll tell you, the, how did you go from powerlifting and bodybuilding? How did you mix? be able to to work the two 'cause I've I've talked to people before where the bodybuilders don't mess with the powerlifters and the powerlifters mm-hmm. don't mess with the bodybuilders and once What's a lot of those people that'll do both.
10: Yeah, well it was uh, it was very hard and um I had always went in with the intention of I was gonna powerlift to augment my physique and to help me in bodybuilding. Um I was in a great team environment and I knew I could lift heavier weights there than I could in a gym simply because I had the gear, uh, as in powerlifting suits, wraps, belts, and also I had like tons of spotters. Not only that, think about this, I mean, you're squatting or you're deadlifting or you're arm curling, whatever you're doing. If you've got a team of like 16 to 20 people who are, number one, they're in love with you because you're on their team and you're doing great things for them, also helping them out nutrition-wise, they're cheering you on for every rep, for every set. Don't you think you'd be able to lift a little bit better than you do now? Yeah. Of, of course you could. So I knew all this was going to be uh, beneficial to me. And the coach, he's a hardcore powerlifting guy. He's He has a national title in powerlifting. And he says, you know, you know bodybuilders are the pretty boys and kind of things like that. Yeah. And that's the whole joke that powerlifters make is that, yeah, yeah, well, you know, bodybuilders, they look pretty but are really strong. And I wanted to prove to people that, Hey, it's okay to have muscle and be strong, and that's exactly what I did. But it was hard, the hardest thing for me was, was, uh, coordinating the diets. Yeah. Because when, when you're getting ready for a show, you're just not strong. And I mean, I had confrontations with the coach, um I mean, well, I'm, I'm telling you guys, I love him to death, and he's one of the best coaches in the world. But he was kind of, you know, to make me really think about what I was doing, he would tell me at times, man, he's like, Dino, uh, some, some of the girls are getting stronger than you are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Especially when you're, you're low carbing, and uh, you know, it's just it was the uh, it was hard to marry those two at contest time. So what I would do is I would actually walk away from the powerlifting when it was.
11: Bodybuilders that are powerlifters because it's just amazing. The the one guy that I've always thought was uh, cool when it came to that kind of thing was the uh, Marius Pudzianowski who does the uh, World's Strongest Man because he's <coughs> a powerlifter and he
10: can lift a house. But yeah. he takes his shirt off; he looks like Arnold. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
5: so, yeah, yeah uh, I mean, and
10: my my favorite is uh, is Ronnie Coleman. Yeah, yeah, man, Ronnie Coleman is a powerlifter. To the gills, you yes. know, 100%. And uh, he's also, in my mind, has you know the best physique. And uh, I'm still a Coleman fan. You think he got ripped off this year? Or? You know what? Yes. I can't, um, I can't speak, uh, intelligently on that because unfortunately this year we just moved here, and three weeks after we got here, uh, my my girlfriend's father died, and his yes. his funeral, um, celebration was actually. On the same weekend as the Olympia. so although I lived 90 miles directly south of Vegas, I was unable to get there because we went back home to where her father was living in Arkansas. Yeah. He's from Louisiana also, but yeah, he had moved you know moved his life to Arkansas, and uh, we had went there to his and I celebration because it was uh, it was in a park, and he had donated his body to science. So oh, well that's
11: cool.
10: Yeah, he he had uh, non Hodgkin's lymphoma and battled that for five years, so. He, um,
6: anyway, he was, his
10: spirit was there and all his friends and family, but the body goes to cancer and I think they get his remains within 10 years or something. They have some, some type of program that he volunteered. Yeah.
11: Okay. For, yeah. So, so, what I'm getting at is,
10: I didn't get to see, I saw some pictures in the magazines and I was like, you know, just from experience, even looking at pictures of myself, it's kind of like, man, I know I looked a lot harder than that and they just thought, he had a weird time when you're in transition from pose to pose. I really wish I could have been there or can see a video, but I just think he would be hard to beat if he if he's on. And uh, yeah. color has a great physique, but uh, and so does Gustavo that. I think he's he's an aw- he's an awesome one, yeah. you know, up and coming guy too.
11: Well, I saw the latest Flex magazine the other day that had Jay on the cover, and he's got the big medal around his neck, and he's holding the trophy, and I had to take a. The double take. I'm like, What the hell? And I thought, Oh yeah, he did. He beat Ronnie yeah. <laughs> like, <"What's> this year. Like, what is <laughs> this? But um the uh the powerlifting and the the bodybuilding and it never seems to go hand in hand, but it seems like there's guys like you out there and Ronnie and pujanowski and then Johnny Jackson and some of these others that are they're they're doing both, so
10: Yeah. Oh okay. yeah, I mean it's, it's fundamental, it's a fundamental part of my training and it's what, when I first started bodybuilding, one of my, uh, you know, the, uh, criticism I would get from judges is, your back, your back's not big enough, your back's not wide enough, and now, I have a latch that started at the elbows and it's kinda of like, you know, like, what are you, what are you doing? And I'm just, I deadlift. Yeah, That's, that's what I do, I deadlift. And, uh, I, I owe it all to powerlifting. And it just, I don't know, it worked. When you pull that heavy weight and you stress the bones and the muscles and the joints with something like that, the body will respond with the right hormonal profile, especially if you know how to feed it right. And that was the other advantage that I had, is that I specialized in learning about how to feed and nourish the body. So I always knew, I knew the importance of a pre-workout meal, a post-workout meal. I have nine intakes a day. Not because it's the easiest thing to do, because it's the best thing to do. Yeah. Well, with uh,
11: your competition in the past, um, what was it like doing your uh, doing your first bodybuilding meet compared to your first uh, powerlifting meet? What is there differences between the two? Or? Oh yeah.
10: Um, the first, my, actually, my first powerlifting meet, um, what I would call my my real true first powerlifting meet was the Louisiana Tech. Uh, it was a rookie meet, and it was for all the rookies for teams you know in the state of Louisiana yeah. so it was uh, to my surprise there was a, there was a pretty big audience and uh, you know I wasn't expecting that. I just thought it would be kind of lifter and be kind of quiet, but the bleachers were full of people and uh, what I didn't really know at that time was that Louisiana Tech had been like national champions of of, uh, collegiate uh, powerlifting for the past like 13 years or something. Wow. And uh, that's why they had such a big audience because the town supported powerlifting. And anyway, I went in there. I was a nobody. And the first uh, lift is, well, the first thing we do is uh, we squat, bench, and then deadlift. And, you know, I did well on the squats. And then when we came out for the bench press, see, I didn't even know how, how good I was until that meet, because there's so many lifters that you're lifting against, and the way powerlifting goes is, you start, the bench is going to start at the lightest weight, and yeah. it's going to end with the guy who's attempting the heaviest weight, and I've seen my name at, like, forced to last in this big group of guys, and I was like, so I started thinking to myself, well, these guys are weak, <laughs> you know, <laughs> Cause Another two years off, and I'm gonna do it again. thing that I did that next week I mean, if we were all Ronnie Coleman, and, and to be honest with you, even Coleman or Cutler, whoever, whoever you like, um, if you ask them, are you where you want to be, they're going to tell you something. You know, I need more biceps. I need more of this. I need more of that. Yeah. So I don't recommend steroids to anyone, and um, I've never coached anyone through a steroid cycle, to be honest with you. I know a little about it, but not a whole lot because I don't have a lot of experience with it at all, really. Well, uh, my whole. I I like to have uh, emotional muscle, and I build. I work every day on myself. I, I I have positive affirmations, and I'm kind of like a mind over matter type person. So if in my mind, if I believe it can happen, it can happen, and I really truly set no limits to that. So that's probably why I could you know pull the weight that I pull, and that's why I've had made the gains that I've made. And uh that's why I've been able to be in it for so long. I'm thirty years old now and uh, you know, I started like I said, my first competition was when I'm sixteen. Wow. So I've been at it for Yeah, it's been a long journey, I'm still going. And uh and that's the beauty about it, you know, I'm still going to this day and I'm going strong and I believe that when you get to your mid to late forties, that's when as a bodybuilder the muscle matures And it makes sense if you could use this analogy. Okay? We don't like to eat an old hen, okay, because the muscle has very little fat. There's very little marbling. We'd rather eat a young chick. Why? Because it's full of marbling. There's fat everywhere. So what does that tell me? The older you get, the least fat the muscle holds, and the more striations you're going to see. And that's how you get that mature muscle. Just putting in the time.
11: Oh yeah, just put the time and the effort in. Well, Dio, I appreciate the interview, sir. Um, learned a lot. We're gonna definitely have to have you back. Keep us updated on your uh comp- upcoming competitions that you're involved in. I uh
10: I will do that and uh you can definitely you can look for me at the two thousand eight uh NPC Team Universe and from there I I hopefully I'll be at the amateur world games and then maybe even from there the World Games, but I'm not gonna stop until uh I get that protocol, that's the goal. There you go.
11: And keep striving for that, my friend. And, uh, have a good weekend, and we'll check back with you some other time.
10: Well, you too. Thank you for having me. And uh, I know it took, a, it took us a while to get up out of cross-country car, <laughs> but uh, I'm really glad I had this opportunity to talk to you today. And, uh, I look forward to, uh, going to part two. Oh, yeah, definitely, man.
11: Well, have a good weekend, sir. And, uh, right. we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is Dutch. You're listening to the Jiggy Jaguar. So strip up those clothes, grab that bowl of jello, and let's get busy.
6: JiggyJaguar.com. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax.